Good morning, church family. What a joy to be with you and worship the living Lord Jesus Christ with you. Thank you so much for your prayers for our team last week that was away in Utah as we served together. And at the conclusion of our time together this morning, you're going to hear from two testimonies about our time in Utah and what a great time that was indeed. If you're visiting with us, let me extend to you also a warm welcome. One of the practices that we want to encourage in the life of our church is listening to preaching well. And one of the ways that we try to encourage you to do that is by giving you a place to take notes in your worship guide. So let me, can, uh, let me encourage you, church members and visitors alike, to find uh, that on pages 10 and 11 and make that a regular discipline of your life as you listen to the teaching and preaching of the word of the Lord. Psalm 54 this week, Psalm 54, and what an incredible text of scripture last week as Nathan did such a marvelous job reflecting on these four categories of sin from Psalm 53, and so grateful for Nathan and his willingness to communicate the truths of of God's Word. And we come to Psalm 54. If you were here a few weeks ago when I preached Psalm 52, then you might uh, realize that there are a number of themes here in Psalm 54 that were prevalent also in Psalm 52. And you might remember that I told you from Psalm 52 to Psalm 58 in large way, in large measure, uh, is a reflection of some of these same themes on behalf of King David. And as Pastor Laramie read just a few moments ago from 1 Samuel, there's an indication here in our notes, a, a header, if you will, in Psalm 54 that gives some indication as to perhaps what this psalm could have been reflecting on. And just like Psalm 52, so too here in Psalm 54 was a rather intense period in the life of David. David thought that he had found refuge. He thought that he had found a place from which he could run from King Saul, and King Saul would not find him. But much like Doeg in Psalm 52, so do the Ziphites here in Psalm 54 spoil it for David, if you will. They run immediately to King David and tell King, or King Saul and tell King Saul exactly where King David is. Now, for those of you who have been to Israel, either with me or another trip, you have for sure been to En Gedi, and you have visited what is popularized today, a place known as David's Springs. And here in this text, not in Psalm 54, but back from 1 Samuel, it tells us that David was in En Gedi, hiding, taking refuge from King Saul. So some of you who have been there, you can see the image of the landscape of that piece of land and know how the Lord provided for King David with that flowing spring of, of water. As we reflect on Psalm 54, yet again, another intense moment in the life of David. Think with me for a few moments of how difficulty Persecution, trouble, heartache, discouragement. So shapes and forms us. Think of how it leaves an indelible impression 
in our mind's eye. In many ways, we are shaped those moments in life form us for a lifetime. Here David is recounting one of those difficult moments, perhaps a moment in which the Ziphites indeed told on on him where his location was and how difficult that was, and David for sure feared for his life and, and had to run. And as David thinks of all of this chaos and trauma in his life, there is one thing that we note from this text of Scripture, and it's that David takes complete and total confidence. He hopes completely in the Lord. David understands that God is indeed that strong tower into which the righteous shall run, and they shall be saved. David reminds us in this text of Scripture that we too, as believers, we will be persecuted by evil people. But when persecuted by evil people, we can hope exclusively in God, knowing He answers our prayers. Something interesting happened for me this past June that has not happened for me or has not happened in a way that I recall during my pastoral tenure here at Woodlawn or, for that point, anywhere else. As you know, our culture, and not just our culture in terms of America, the entire world, our family was in Ireland and Paris and and London during the month of June, and I can tell you in every one of those places so too do those cultures in very real way. Are they highlighting the perversity of the LGBTQ movement? And what I found very interesting in the life of this church was I had a number of church members who came to me during this period saying, Pastor, my company has been pushing this agenda, but it's never been like this before. The pressure for Christian people in the secular workplace to affirm or to engage in a real way in affirming this perversion is increasing in a manner that many of you are asking the question, how can I engage in this? How can I respond in this culture? How can I respond in a way that honors the Lord and yet still remain employed to provide for my family? Can I still remain employed at this place? The testimony of the text of Scripture, friends, is that you and I as believers have never been promised to live in a culture or in a life free from adversity. In fact, the testimony of the text of Scripture is rightly opposite. It's almost a promise that if you hold to biblical principles in your life, those biblical principles just didn't start running contrary to culture circa America 21st century. They've always ran counter culture. How will you 
how will I endure persecution by evil people? Notice what David says here first in chapters 1 through 3. Believers can cast their care on God when persecuted by evil people. Notice in verses 1 and 2 how David begins both both of these uh, stanzas. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. David doesn't take his difficulty to anyone else other than God. David knows that in God alone can he find refuge. And see see what he does. David cast his entire being. David cast himself. David cast his circumstances completely on the character of God. David knows that God has revealed himself, even as we looked last or two weeks ago from Psalm 52, David knows the very character of God, that God has revealed himself in Exodus chapter 34. David knows that God has extended his loving kindness to his people forever. David knows that there is no place that he can escape the watchful eye of God. David hopes exclusively, not only because God has revealed himself through his word, that is where we do understand the very character of God, but David also has a history of walking with God. If this is indeed a reflection on David's time or or David's exposure by the Ziphites, this will not be the first time that King David has faced difficulty, and neither will it be the last time that David will face difficulty. But David has a history of walking with God and God's faithfulness to David in each and every one of those circumstances is why David can exalt. This is why David can hope exclusively. This is why David can praise. Notice what he says at the very end in verse 7. For he, God, has delivered me from what? Every trouble. David knows the Lord because God has revealed himself through his word. David knows the Lord because God has revealed himself through acts, through history with King David. So David hopes exclusively in God's character, in God's nature, in God's actions. And he pleads with the Lord, God, would you hear my prayer? Would you give ear to the words of my mouth? Now you and I use the word, the English word hope, in a different way than what the biblical word hope has oftentimes been communicated. So we might be tempted to read this text and say, David was just kind of really hopeful that perhaps maybe God would indeed listen to him. So we maybe could read this prayer in such a way that, God, that David is just begging, Lord, I'm down here, hello, please, 
please see me. I, I know I'm taking refuge here in this most incredible place in Engedi, and, and in case you can't see me or hear me, Lord, let me jump up and down a little bit for you, and, and maybe, oh God, just maybe you will hear me. But this isn't what David is saying here. Read this with a sense of great confidence. Oh God, I know you will hear my prayer. Oh Lord, I know that you are one that gives your ear to the cries of your people. David's confidence in the Lord (coughs) thrust him back to the one in whom he could cast his cares And that was and is in God alone. Why is David crying to the Lord? Look at verse 3. David is crying to the Lord because he's under intense pressure for strangers. Some of your Bibles translate that word for foreigners. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set before God themselves. Perhaps you found yourself there this past June. And maybe it's not just this past June. Perhaps it's on a weekly basis. I even heard from a few church members over the course of the last several weeks following the Supreme Court's ruling on abortion that you had employers that sent down emails that opposed the Supreme Court's ruling and and told the ladies uh, in the email, in the group, in the the workplace, that if if you want to seek women's health care through abortion, we will pay for you to travel to a state. Just this past week, a major ruling from a federal court out of Dallas A flight stewardess for a number of years for Southwest was removed in 2017, and her case was just adjudicated this past week. She was fired for placing on her private Facebook page posts celebrating pro-life. But her pro-life positions ran contrary to the union's pro-choice movement and she was fired. And she won a $5 million lawsuit this past week out of Southwest. Perhaps you're there. You're in that difficult place. Not because you as an individual are difficult or foolish. Don't be that. But if your convictions, David's conviction of who God was, of what what God was ultimately calling him to do, he was now going to be the king of Israel. And Saul doesn't like it. And so Saul is not ultimately pursuing and opposing King David. He's ultimately opposing God. And as believers, we must rest in this case and this truth that ultimately the evil people that seek to persecute us aren't ultimately opposing us, they're opposing an almighty God. 
Just yesterday, one of our church planting partners in Asia responded to me and said, please be praying. One of the house groups that we had established, we've gone back to the last three weeks, and every day that we've gone back, they literally act like they have no idea who we are. It's primarily a group of ladies And the only thing this brother can figure out is that their husbands have said, you can have no contact with these people. And so this church planting partner of ours who has spent hours sharing Christ and the gospel and ministering the truth of God's word to these these ladies is, is heartbroken. And he feels a sense of of personal rejection. So just this morning, I wrote back to VJ and said, VJ, please be reminded, brother, that these people aren't ultimately rejecting you. Even though they are rejecting you, they're ultimately rejecting the Christ in you. Friends, we live in an evil, wicked, perverted world that has always existed from the fall of Adam and Eve. And we as biblical Christians will face a sense of persecution at some point in our lives as we rightly follow Christ. Take confidence. Take hope. Know that in Christ, in Christ alone, can you find refuge. But know that these evil people have also been identified as people who stand contrary to to God's word. Jesus himself had something to say about this. Look with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is with his disciples. He knows what's taking place. It's coming to the end of his earthly journey. And what's Jesus' response to the evil that is pursuing him? What's Jesus' response to to Judas? What's Jesus' response to the Romans? Listen to how Matthew describes it for us, beginning in verse 36 of chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, that is, with his disciples. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, like David, sets the paradigm for you and me and how we are to respond in moments of adversity. We take our cares to the Lord, as the psalmist says, knowing that God cares 
for you. Look how he defines these strangers just real quickly in verse 3. For strangers have risen against me, ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. What a beautiful depiction of those who oppose God. David is literally saying by this by this metaphor, they do not set God before themselves. He's saying, they don't obey God. Now, it seems like a very simple, basic definition, but friends, that is exactly what is happening for those who have set themselves in opposition against God. Now, we live in a culture that likes to give uh, medical diagnoses to all sorts of uh, of responses that are wicked and evil, evil against God. We live in a culture that likes to give excuse for all type of sin, but ultimately, those who are pushing certain agendas down our throats that stand contrary to the Word of God ultimately are standing in opposition against God. They are disobeying God. And friend, I don't know of a better definition then what each of our hearts, apart from Christ, are before God. No, friend, you don't have to be completely, totally pagan, if you will, in that you're as evil as possible. You don't have to be considered as set in opposition against God. You don't have to be one who is considered disobeying God if you're not pushing the radical LGBTQ agenda down the throats of someone at your work. No, friend, you are set in opposition by God by rejection of Jesus as Lord. Friend, if you were here this morning and you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, You've never thrown yourself at the mercy seat of God with an acknowledgement that you can't save yourself and that only He can save you. Please understand that David's designation of evil, sinful, wicked people applies to your life apart from Christ. Would you trust in Christ today? Would you repent of your sins? Would you believe in Jesus. David moves from this statement of, of confidence in God, and then here in verses 4 and 5, David reminds us that our only hope indeed is in God. Behold, God, you are my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness. Put and end to them. David is living out one of those biblical principles of faithfully walking with God. And it's a truth that he's learned from knowing God and that God has revealed to himself. To whom does vengeance belong? In whose hand? Does a wrath, wrathful response belong? Yours? Mine? No. The Lord. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. You might remember from our time in, 
In Romans, Paul comes to the end of Romans, and he's encouraging the Christians. By the way, the Christians in, in, Paul's, in Paul's day are living in a culture much, much like what we find ourselves in today. And listen to how Paul, the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is encouraging Christian people to respond to difficult situations. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What does it mean to avenge? What does it mean to avenge? It means to take justice, from a biblical standpoint, to take justice into your own hands. Now, does that mean if you're in a secular workplace, let's go back to the example of the stewardess from Southwest Airlines, who was fired for posting pro-life positions on her Facebook post. Does that mean that if that's you, you get fired from your job because you won't support some radical agenda? Does that mean that you say, well, the Lord's will, I'll just go home and pray about it and hope the Lord opens up another door for me? Does this mean that you can't or you shouldn't, or that you don't have access to a civil response in certain cases? No. But when we respond in these civil manners, it's not you individually that is seeking to avenge what is wrong done to you. You're seeking a means that God has given us through the state to avenge, to carry out the justice of God. But notice what Paul says. Don't repay evil for evil. So your company, your boss, they fire you because you won't support the pro-choice position. Name it, whatever it is. That does mean that you don't go to your boss's house and plant a bomb in the backyard. It does mean that you don't lay and wait for your boss when he's leaving his house and you shoot your nine millimeter through her side door. It does mean that you don't go on Facebook and intentionally pursue your boss's children and make snide comments to them. Don't take the evil that has been done to you and use further evil seeking to avenge what is wrong as Mama taught me as a young kid, two wrongs don't make a right. What's David doing in this case, friends? David is expressing complete, total trust in God. And friends, I know, trust me, it's part of the DNA of Lewis that I have to fight from time to time myself, we all want to avenge the wrong done to us. 
just ask Erica. It's so much in many ways of who we are. But don't think that there's something wrong with you because you have this desire for vengeance to be carried out. Is David wrong for desiring God to avenge what has been done wrong to him? Is it wrong for David to desire for God to pour out his wrath on those who have stood in opposition to God? Revelation chapter 6. One of the seals, the fifth seal, I believe, is, is broken. And listen at the cry of the voice of the Christians who have been martyred because of their faith in Revelation chapter 6. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their witness that had been born. Friend, there is a cost to following Jesus. And that cost very well could be your life. Don't hear it from me. Hear it from the testimony of Scripture. The fifth seal is open. And what does John see? A host of people whose lives have been given for the cause of Christ. And notice what he hears from these voices. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And you know what the answer to the Lord is ultimately here in this text? In Revelation chapter 6, it's not coming anytime soon. It will happen. God will ultimately avenge all wrongs. Friend, you might have to endure a persecution a lifetime. But joy comes in the morning. Are you hoping in God? Friends, I am convinced that one of the characteristics of a Christian life that ought to radically set us apart from the world should be our intense hope in God. And in some ways, I just have to be honest with you for a moment. In some ways, one of the most discouraging things from a pastoral perspective is to see believers who for however long that has been in their life have stood, if you will, in the, sanctu- in the sanctuary of believers among the faithful, among the congregation, and when adversity strikes their life, the first thing we notice is their absence in corporate worship. David's adversity does not push him further away from God. David's adversity does not remove him from the corporate worship of God. Notice what happens here in these last two verses. David's adversity thrusts him, throws him to the people of God to worship. And there, 
have his heart encouraged in the Lord. Look how this happens for David in verses 6 and 7. Believers give their praise to God alone for answered prayer. (coughs) With a willingness, I will sacrifice to you. Some of your Bibles, my Bible translates this word with a free will offering. Willingly, joyfully, I will sacrifice to you. David is saying willingly, with a willing heart, with a willing spirit, I will sacrifice to you. I will publicly praise you, God. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Friends, this is what God does for his people. He always makes provisions for his people. Say, wait a minute, pastor. That's not been the testimony in my life. That's not been my experience. I know it's been the experience of others. They've, they've had tragedy. Maybe you've had a loved one who was involved in an intense wreck, and, and that loved one walked away from the wreck. But another person in the life of our congregation has had a, a loved one in an accident, and that person died in an accident. Or maybe you know of someone in the life of the congregation who's been having a very difficult time at work, and yet they've been able to prevail through that difficulty. But for you, you lost your job. You know of other people who have struggled greatly in the context of marriage. And they fought through it for 15 years, and they have a good, healthy marriage. But your spouse walked out on you. And you hear David say, the Lord always answers my prayers. And you're thinking, that's not true for me. It is true, friends, that all of us tend to live life with a set of myopic lens on. So that oftentimes I only see today. Be careful to read that David is saying in the context of this situation that every time he faced adversity, the Lord answered and removed the problem for him because we can begin to track the life of David and go example by example by example and see that God never removed the adversity for King David. 
Don't read Psalm 54 verse 7 and think, I'm giving up hope. I'm going to lose faith. The Lord isn't responding my answer right now today. Take hope with King David. And knowing, however, that God will one day absolutely, completely, totally answer your prayer. It might not happen this side of eternity, but He will avenge on that side of eternity. Are you hoping in that, God friend? I'm concerned that for too many of us in evangelical Christianity in America, we've been hoping of a God that's like a genie in the bottle that pops out every time we rub Him. And thus we have very little appetite for hoping in a God that sometimes, oftentimes, doesn't avenge or respond in the time in which we think He should. But aren't you grateful today? He does answer. I think about the narrative of so many stories in the book of Acts, for example of how the early church, as the gospel was, was moving and going forth, of how so many of these other believers found themselves in, in great adversary, in great difficulty, adversity, in great difficulty, and they had to cry out to the Lord. And God responded. In Acts chapter 12, we read the narrative of God's response to the rest of James and Peter. What happens to James, by the way? You know the story. James is killed. What happens to Peter? Peter gets placed into prison. Peter is thrown into jail. And listen at Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church was doing what David was doing. The church was responding like David was responding. And look what the Lord does. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, in other words, when Herod was about to do to Peter exactly what he did to James, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around, your, around you and follow me. In other words, Peter, let's go, man! And he went out and followed him. He did not know what he was, do, was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Uh-oh. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me, from the hand of Herod and from the hand of all the Jewish people 
who were expecting. God answers the prayers of his people. It might not be on a timeline, friend, that you or I think it should be. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be in your lifetime. But friend, hope in this God. Trust in this God who has revealed himself through his word, who has communicated his character, and has through a thousand different ways expressed his faithfulness to you and to me. And friends, the greatest way that God has expressed his faithfulness to you and me is by the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And if God never does another thing for you or me other than providing salvation through Jesus, he has provided everything we'll ever need to find satisfaction in this life and in the life to come. Is that the Jesus you're following today? Is that the God in whom you're hoping today? Friend, if you're not following this God and you're not following this Jesus, you're not following the God and the Christ as revealed in the text of Scripture. And that God and that Jesus will lead you to an eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, how thankful we are for your providential care. How thankful we are that you are one that answers the prayers and the cries of your people. How thankful we are this morning in the truth revealed in this text of Scripture that we as believers can have confidence and know that you answer our prayers when evil people pursue us. So Lord, we ask today that you might steady our hearts, that you might increase our faith, that you might cause us to hope more greatly and fully and faithfully and publicly in you. Would you spend a few moments, friend, where you're seated today and reflect on this text of Scripture? Would you begin by reflecting on this question? Am I hoping in this God as revealed through this text of Scripture today? If you are hoping in that God, friend, would you take a few moments and just reflect in the ways in which you're doing that? Do you find yourself with a daily sense of resolve and confidence as you face adversity? Do you find yourself regularly throughout the day, multiple times a day, seated at your desk, seated at your dining room table when all your little children are down for a nap? Or in the hustle and bustle of busy traffic, crying out to God? Would you think of the most recent 
adversity you've experienced in your life? Would you reflect on it for a few moments? How did you respond? Did you respond like David? And that, that intense personal persecution led to beautiful corporate praise? Or did the reverse happen? That sadness, that sorrow drove you away from corporate praise. Perhaps you're here today, friend, and you are separated from God. You know that you've never trusted in Christ. Very little evidence exists in your life that you are indeed passionately following Christ. And you heard the designation of how David defined those who set themselves in opposition against God. And God, by His Word and by His Spirit, has convicted you of your need to trust in Christ today. Friend, may I urge you where you're seated at this very moment to cry out to God with simple confession, Lord, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. I trust in you, Jesus. Would you confess Jesus as Lord today? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. And as believers, we're going to sing with great hope and confidence. I can think of no better way for us to respond to this text of Scripture than to confess our confidence in God through singing. Sing loudly. Sing confidently. As we sing, perhaps you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. As we sing, expressing our hope in God... Myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. It's completely okay for you to come forward, walk forward to one of us and just say, hey, can you help me understand how I can trust in Christ? We would delight in telling you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward and see one of us. There are plenty of people seated around you. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you, and I promise you, the people in this room would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you're facing a moment like David and you just would like one of us to join you in crying out to the Lord that your faith would be, would be strengthened, that God would provide you with the necessary means. As we sing, friends, it would delight our hearts to shepherd you by praying for you. Please feel free to come forward and we'll pray with you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. So God, we ask that as we respond to you now, might our response be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning as we respond to the preaching of God's word?